We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, March 10th, 2022. In this episode, the Chicago White Sox beat reporter from The Athletic, James Vegan, will be joining me later in the show to chat about the White Sox minor league camp, his first impressions on Oscar Colas, Norhe Vera, and Colson Montgomery, what are the White Sox plans for Yoelki Cespedes, and who else has looked impressive during camp? We'll get to James in a moment, but in the last 48 hours, again, there have been many conversations between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association on a new CBA. Both sides have made proposals. There are three big items that need to be agreed upon economically to really get the deal to be moved forward. The competitive balance tax, league minimums, and the pre-arbitration bonus pool that the Players Association is asking for. On the competitive balance tax front, the league and the Players Association are very close. Between their proposals in 2022, the league is offering the competitive balance tax to be $230 million and the Players Association's counteroffer is $232 million. And they stay very close all the way through into 2026 when the league is offering $242 million as the competitive balance tax threshold and the Players Association is now offering $250 million. All right, great news. Close on the CBT. League minimums. The league is offering $700,000 in 2022 as the league minimum. The Players Association counteroffer, $710,000. Excellent. Very close in the league minimum front. The pre-arbitration bonus. Major League Baseball is still offering $40 million for this bonus pool. The Players Association wants to start at $65 million in 2022 with a $5 million increase in each season of the CBA. Okay, so there's still some work to be done on the pre-arbitration bonus front, but the CBT and the league minimums, two of the areas that we thought were the biggest sticking points in the CBT, are very close. So perhaps a deal 
could be made very soon between the league and the players association. And then bam, major league baseball owners bring up the international draft as a trade-off major league baseball is willing to remove the qualifying offer in exchange for implementing an international draft. The early details of the international draft, it would be 20 rounds. Teams would have 11 to $13 million in bonus pool money. The draft slots are fixed for those bonus amounts, very similar to the amateur draft that we have in July for the college and high school players. The international draft picks are tradable. There's a lot wrong with the current international signing system. The international draft will not fix all of those problems. While this has been reported, Dominican players Fernando Tatis Jr. and Hall of Famer David Ortiz spoke out against the international draft. Ortiz admitted in his statement that an international draft may happen one day, but a slow transition is needed to pull it off properly. The Players Association, as a collective, are against the international draft. This stance has irked Major League Baseball owners, and in their response, given to the Players Association, three options, according to ESPN's Chicago's Jesse Rogers. Option one, you sign the CBA. Option two, you sign the CBA, but without the international draft, the qualifying offer system stays. Or option three, you sign the CBA, but the Players Association has until November 15th to agree on the international draft. If the Players Association declines the international draft by that date, Major League Baseball would have the right to reopen the CBA after the 2024 season. Now, in my opinion, option three was a good choice for the Players Association because it would give them an opportunity to exploit Major League Baseball. Think about it. After three years, if Major League Baseball reopened the CBA, the Players Association could address the core economic issues again with the new TV deals being agreed upon, sponsorships, gambling money, those quarterly reports about the Atlanta Braves and how much money that they are making. You could ask for another pay raise for younger players. And from the Players Association perspective, agreeing to option three They would have won in some key areas. They would have increased league minimums. They would have increased the competitive balance tax, created this pre-arbitration bonus pool that didn't exist before. And they would offer a path to full service year for rookies who finish in the top two for rookie of the year voting. Yeah, that's the top echelon of rookies, but you would avoid the Chris Bryant situation at least. But the Players Association declined the three options and instead counter-proposed. And their counterproposal was, one, remove the qualifying offer. Two, both sides have until November 15th to agree on an international draft. If there is no agreement, the qualifying offer returns after the 2023 season and the current international signing system remains in place. This is an opportunity for a bipartisan solution to implement an international draft, an opportunity for the MLB owners To also keep the qualifying offer if the Players Association come November still doesn't want the international draft. How could the owners say no? Of course they said no. And then Rob Manfred canceled two more series. Opening day in 2022 now will not be any earlier than April 15th, which is Jackie Robinson Day. That would be a home opener for the White Sox against the Tampa Bay Rays. 
Personally, my brain is broken. The two parties have come very close on the key economic issues with a competitive balance tax and the league minimums. And then the league is making the international draft a sticking point all of a sudden, and baseball fans lose six more games. I don't get it. I really do not get the owner's perspective here. And it's just terrible for the game, it's terrible for the league, and it's terrible for fans. But we are going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next is James Fegan of The Athletic to share what's happening at White Sox minor league camp. Even though we are still in limbo of when the 2022 Major League Baseball season will start, I was curious to look at the MLB futures markets for the upcoming season. Zips, their depth chart projections on Fangraphs.com, is projecting that Tim Anderson will lead the major leagues in hits in 2022. Now, I'm a big fan of DraftKings. I play a lot of daily fantasy sports, and I also have the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I saw that Tim Anderson was 11-1 to odds to lead the majors in hits on DraftKings, so I placed a $10 bet, hoping to win $110. Figured it would pay for a nice dinner. The good news in Illinois is you too can place bets on MLB futures using DraftKings. The DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook is officially live with mobile sports betting as you can celebrate Illinois going mobile again with registrations. New customers can bet just $5 on any team of your choice and get $200 in free bets instantly. It's that simple. You can sign up from your home as long as you are in Illinois and you can sign up with the palm of your hand on your smartphone and get free bets instantly. Just head to the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook now to check out all the great promotions and features, including same-game parlays. It's safe, secure, reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Bet just $5 in any team of your choice, let's say like the Chicago Bulls, and get $200 in free bets instantly. It's that simple, again, with promo code SOCKSMACHINE, this week at the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. 21 and older, Illinois-only eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That is 1-800-426-2537. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
In a normal baseball season, this would be the time to check in with beat reporters down in Glendale to learn more about the White Sox spring training. But since we don't have spring training for the White Sox, we've got the minor league camp taking place. The White Sox non-40 man minor leaguers are getting ready for the minor league opening day, which is still scheduled to be the first week of April. Join us to give us unique insight on some of the top White Sox prospects as the White Sox beat reporter for the athletic and friend of the podcast. It's James Vegan. Hello, James. Great to chat with you again. How's Arizona? Um, it requires sunblock. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad the still. I'm glad the sun is still out in uh, in Arizona these days. Oh, the first man. day I was here, um, I and this is my sixth year of beat reporting. I uh, I locked my keys inside of my rental car right as I was going to head out to camp, and. <laughs> I think in, you know, certainly earlier portions of my career uh, and maybe like a, a more higher stakes situation uh, that would have been uh, grounds for like a meltdown. <laughs> but there was like a calm that floated over me of just like, there's no 40 man players at the camp, the complex anyway. Like I'm, I'm, I might miss talking to, uh, you know, a third rounder. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll get through this. Oh, it's been six years already. Yeah. Wow. Time flies, man. All right. The White Sox minor league camp. Even though the farm system is not highly ranked, there are some interesting prospects. Some might say consensus bottom of the league. Consensus bottom of the league. Yes. I'm trying to be nicer in 2022, James. Uh, Let's start with the big international signee, Oscar Colas. What are your first impressions of Colas? Um, he looks fit. Uh, he looks charismatic. He's talkative. He's got a cadre of guys around him at all times. He seems to impress all the coordinators. He hit a ball over the, uh, right fielder's head on the first at bat. I saw him take, uh, yesterday. He he looks the part. He, yeah, I don't know what the adjustment level is going to be or what happens when he faces sequencing or, um, I I should, read a ton into the Theo Dellinger striking him out today. Uh, but, uh, he, he looks like someone who, you know, fits the part of being, you know, the highest ceiling kind of dude in the organization with, you know, his ranking maybe floating a little bit because of the uncertainty that he faces, but, um, it, it seems like the tool is there. The pop is there. The, the, the pedigree seems justified at this point. It's, it's like meaningless <laughs> because, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're watching him and in, in backfields games and we're not really, um, seen super true test of what he will deal with as far as rustiness, but um, it, it all looks encouraging. He, he looks like he reported in good shape and in good spirits. Yeah. The last time he actually played in a game, I believe was 2019 other than him working out and working on the Dominican Republic. The last time he played in Japan was in 2019. So what are the white Sox plans for Coloss to make this transition into playing ball in the United States? Uh, you know, they, he would say that he was playing like um, in, in games with other signees that, are, that seem like they're kind of off the books, um, waiting to kind of join the complex, but in the months beforehand, so that he's he doesn't feel like as, as far behind as, as others. I get the feeling um, that hasn't been anything like said directly to it that, you know, they kind of want him to play and, you know, Getz seems to lean towards giving guys full season assignments and allowing them to kind of really 
uh, gel with the team and, and, and get used to kind of competing and game planning on a regular basis rather than holding guys back. That's why he, he seems like he's pretty set on uh, Montgomery and Kath going to Kannapolis. So I, I would expect Colas to probably go to um, Winston-Salem as soon as they can. I haven't heard of any reasons that he'd be delayed at this point, but it kind of be, remains to be seen after the way Suspedes went last year. But I, I think they're going to go out there and let him play. And, you know, if there's lumps in the road or if he struggles a bit, they'll kind of deal with it. But I think they'll probably be counterbalanced by the fact that, you know, based on his true talent and seasoning, something like high A or something like that would probably be below his skill level. So he'd probably, um, you know, have a, have a smooth runway, but I, I think they're going to play him. Okay. Well, I, I guess it makes sense if he does follow that similar path and that he plays a couple of months in Winston-Salem, assess where he's at. And if he's just crushing high A, they wouldn't hesitate to bring him, bring him up to Birmingham, right? Yeah, you would think. Uh it's, it seems to be a model they've uh, followed all the way down to Luis Roberts' uh, true, like, truly comedic uh, month in, in Winston-Salem <laughs> back in 2019. Uh, one of the all-time great comedic bits in, in baseball history. And I was at the game where he struck out four times. <laughs> <laughs> you and Keith uh, Lost sitting shoulder to shoulder, probably. Yes. Uh, you reported on Twitter this week, which if you don't follow James on Twitter, he's at J.R. Fegan. Uh, that White Sox pitcher, Norhe Vera, suffered a grade one lat strain. What does the timetable look for Vera to join one of the affiliates after he gets done with his injury? And for Vera, I guess, what's the game plan the White Sox have for him? Because he threw some innings, he just looked dominating against the Dominican League last year. Were they thinking Canapolis? Did they think he's ready for Winston-Salem? Um, they haven't like specified that much between those two. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised by Canapolis, given the fact that they are moving, uh, most of that group of last year's Canapolis rotation to Winston-Salem, unless they say otherwise. So, um, when I, when I talked to Getz about it, like, you know, Dahlquist and Thompson were both in that kind of like, I want to say 70 to 85 range and he said that was probably a reasonable estimate for for Vera based on him only getting 19 innings last year um and I feel like that maybe you can shade that a little bit towards the lower end now that he's been set back by this um Getz did say that he didn't I would have thought like the fact that he's already throwing with it um even if it's not like in games that I've seen so far um makes me think that it's it's not something that would hold him back for more than a couple of weeks but Getz did say that they want him built up to multiple innings by the time they do send him out to affiliate, if then if he's only throwing one inning, um, that would be something that seems like they would do an extended spring rather than sending him out. So maybe that could push it a little bit later um, in terms of ramping him up to, to May or something like that. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem like it's something where he, it's not like he got, he strained his lat yesterday and they shut him down. Um, it's something that, you know, it was kind of revealed uh, in talking about him uh, and they kind of provided an update and confirmation of it. Got it. So then the 2021 first round pick, Colson Montgomery, this is his first camp. And with your reporting, he's been in Arizona for a while now, uh, but he does get his first well, at least a couple of times. Yeah. A couple he, times. He, he came for him trucks. He came again in the end of November. He came for a January mini camp. He went back. He came for the mini camp that we all thought was the start of full minor league spring training because they had 60 guys, but it was still just another mini camp. And now he is still here as the full minor league reports. So um, I'm sure, I don't know if he's at Southwest A-list status uh, yet, but I, I hope so. 
you know, there, you know, before the draft, there was some speculation and some analysis of those who thought ultimately one day Montgomery will probably move to third base because he is on the taller side. He's six foot four. And if his range slows down as he moves up levels that theoretically it can make sense to move him over to third base. I think he could stick at shortstop. Are the White Sox plans to keep him at shortstop or will they move him around the infield? So he gets different looks at a couple of other positions like third base or even second base. They have moved him around uh, the infield uh, because like they think that some of the other positions, you know, shortstop provides more or second base provides more kind of movement uh, unless, uh, you know, pure reactive and, you know, third space is purely reactive. So it works on a lot of hand skills. So I think it's just kind of beneficial for him to take reps everywhere, but they're not, you don't put him at shortstop and be like, well, he's going to play here this year. And when it completely fails, we're going to move him to third base next year. They, they kind of are doing the shortstop to uh, until he, he busts out of it, or they have comprehensive reason to move him over or, you know, God willing, he OPS is 1200 nonstop at every <laughs> level. And then you're, we got to fit him in the line with Tim Anderson somehow. Like if yep. those two timelines ever uh, run into each other, you figure it out then. Um, so yeah, it, it's all right now. All the momentum is about him sticking at shortstop and it's, you know, a carrot to float in front of the prospect of, you know, they say you're going to move off, prove them wrong. And, you know, he's certainly all about that at this point in time. So I, the, the plan is for him to play shortstop and West Cat to play third base alongside him, even while Cat takes some reps at shortstop because, they again they think it's good for his footwork to just kind of do some stuff there or work out at second base occasionally you know gets has talked about going forward wanting to encourage some level of versatility uh and have that competency be a, a tool in everyone's belt coming up in the organization and not just something that happens uh like the way it happened to andrew vaughn this past year or even gavin sheets too yeah. right like yeah it's uh it's, it gives the perception the outside that it was on the fly. So I guess from Getz's perspective, is that something now after the lessons learned from 2021, that's a focus for the White Sox player development front is we need more position flexibility just in case. Yeah, though I would uh, defend the fact that like, you know, Vaughn was taking those reps in the outfield uh, or, or moving over in the infield at the alternate site. Um, the alternate site seemed like a great opportunity to just screw around with anything because, like, there are games I went there where the um, what's it called? The Edutronic was playing second base. So, mm-hmm. like, it, there are games that weren't like very typical. So, you kind of, yeah, let's, let's see how this guy looks there. But, you know, they did some work there uh, with Vaughn to kind of prepare for it. And, you know, as much as Sheets went out and lost, like wasn't at the alternate site and did all the practicing on his own and lost the weight and kind of remade his body to be in a position to play in the corner outfield, that did stem from a conversation of him being like, what do I need to do uh, to give myself an opportunity? And them saying like, well, if you added this, you, that would give you another route to be on the roster. So I, I wouldn't say it's entirely just like, you know, as much as the story that Vaughn tells sometimes is like he came to the ballpark and they said, you're playing left today. Um, you know, they, they've done some stuff um, to prepare for ahead of time. But yeah, they're definitely, you know, especially with high school players are trying to have that be more of an organizational wide thing. Um, you know, something the Astros were doing, you know, five, six, seven years ago um, with their core. So they kind of want to get on board with that. 
So Yoki Suspidus, we've had a lot of conversations at Sox Machine about his 2021 season. There's good and there's some bad, but that's in the past. Looking forward to 2022 and his involvement, or I should say evolution and development with the Birmingham Barons to start the year. Is there anything specific the White Sox want him to focus on to start 2022? Uh, Plate discipline. Um, Pretty much they want him to kind of calm down or they they feel like he kind of got a little bit too pigeonholed on what type of pitches he wants to just let loose on all the time and then is not enough uh, in a position to be reactive to what he's seen and and make good decisions accordingly. Uh, But like – Generally, he just he just needs to to keyhole um, a, a lot more and have, show a lot more plate discipline than they showed last season. I think you know Getz definitely alluded to some of that being mechanical and feeling like he was um, a little bit longer and a little bit more uh, aggressive than he needed to be uh, on that front and needed to you know shorten things down to allow him to more time to make those good decisions. But it, it's it's entirely about you know pitch selection and because it's it, he's not like this insane hit tool guy where he can really just cut on everything mm-hmm. and, and one make contact, but also make use of the plus power, which is mostly his carrying tool. Um, as a hitter, he, he needs to be a guy who's a, a lot more disciplined to, to make use of the physical profile he has. Yeah. He needs to cut down the 58% ground ball, right? Jim and I have mentioned that quite a few times. That'd be one thing we'll be paying attention to when Cespedes does start his 2022 season. Uh, you alluded that the three prep arms that were in Kannapolis last year, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, Jared Kelly, they could be moving up a level to Winston-Salem. For these three, they went through a lot of struggles in, in 2021. What are what are the things that they are trying to work on right now as they're in this minor league camp? And, and did Getz lay out any type of innings limit or expectations the White Sox have for them in their second full season? Um, just whatever the byproduct would be of them making 25, 30 starts healthy, maybe not 30, um, you know, the 25 to 26 range and, you know, hoping they get more consistently out to, to five and six innings. Um, I, I think it, it definitely hinges a little bit on, um, you know, how they fare, how they're looking physically or mid season about whether they continue toward, but in general, they don't want to shut guys down, um, mid year. Uh, so I, I think, and they've certainly been building these guys up for a long time, given their presence in minicamp. Uh, Matthew Thompson through today, he like, I think they, uh, it was like a sim game environment. So there wasn't like a defense. So they ruled like a comeback of the Jose Rodriguez hit as a single, but he otherwise had a, you know, scoreless inning struck out West Cath and DJ Gladney, where he was really locating his slider and curveball pretty well. Um, and so and talking to him today, it was just like, so what was working about that to have the command? And he said, like, well, that's clearly just means like my direction was online. Um, that that was the main thing that he's been focusing on and, you know, feeling like that's all about his leg stability and where he's setting up, um, you know, pre-pitch uh, to make sure that he's lined up toward the plate uh, on, on the way um, when he, once he starts his motion. Um he definitely feels like, you know, the line he kept repeating today was that I need to get my butt kicked uh, over and over <laughs> again. Um, so they feel like there's some sort of a maturity gain that they, that's been from, from, I mean, especially someone like Thompson, the, the career he had in Houston high schools was just like, I don't think he lost the game his last two years. And he felt like that was beneficial to go through that. But uh, from the actual like cold mechanical standpoint, it, it's very similar to with Dalquist where they said, 
you know, the big thing they're touting is that he's gained 20 pounds and it's all about like leg strength. And that's what he's been working on that, you know, they're kind of by kind of biomechanical analysis, um, you know, indicated that he was very loose in his joints and his hips. And, you know, obviously they can be good as far as flexibility and, mm-hmm. um, you know, not being too, you don't want to be too stiff and, you know, be injury prone, but it allowed his mechanics to kind of pop out of sequence a lot. So they felt like adding strength over this past year, it's going to be something that's going to allow him to be a bit more consistent as far as staying in his leg drive and staying straight to the plate and having a clean direction the way that Thompson is telling that he's currently having as well. So I think if things are go well, that they're clearing, you know, the hundred mark, uh, maybe a shade under the 120 any mark, but that's just kind of following the logical progression of what it's like if they stay healthy and, you know, don't have starts where they're getting, uh, you know, bounce in the second and third inning the way that they're having last year. No, those would be good goals for both Thompson and Dahlquist. I enjoyed your story about Luis Miesis and how much he looks up to Aloy Jimenez and, you know, even wearing the red batting gloves. He, he turns 22 in May. He did hit 15 home runs between Canapolis and Winston-Salem. There are White Sox fans who love the underdog prospects and are always in the search of maybe finding a possible diamond in the rough, James. Do you think, do you think Miesis could be that type of player, like a diamond of the rough that really takes a big leap in 2022? Um, I mean, it's definitely like a, you need to see the approach, like take this jump type of situation. Here's like a reason he's not like super lauded because like the performance record wasn't there, but I would definitely like look at what he did in the second half of last season and, and be encouraged or at least intrigued uh about what he can do and you know i've heard certainly heard people talk about his physical tools um years before now uh as being promising and that was when he was just like very tall and gangly he, he no longer looks like he's 6'3 180 which i think he's still listed on the minicamp roster he, he looks like he's a lot more filled out um and not in like a um micro Adolfo way in the sense of like, if this guy grew up in Florida, he'd probably be a highly rated defensive end, but more like he looks like a pretty good statuesque, like right fielder. Not to say that, you know, Adolfo can't play right field because he can. Um, but yeah, he, he looks like he's in a good position to be that kind of power hitting corner outfield mode. But yeah, obviously we haven't seen the, the walks of the plate discipline yet to get really excited. Um, but, you know, he, he put himself in a good spot to at least be somebody who, is as worthy of uh, opportunities in, in Birmingham as anyone, um, you know, shaped for Colas and, uh, you know, Suspedes. I, I think of that group of all the guys we talked about with um, in that, who are really young and coming off like no minor league season, 2020, like DJ Gladney or Bryce Bush, or um, a lot of the guys who struggled in Kannapolis. I think Luis Messis had, you know, as good of a season as any of them. And, and, and certainly, seemed like he figured out something in the second half. So if he's saying that he did some video work and he feels like he can pick up release points better, I don't know if he can do that in the major league level, but it stands, it definitely seems like it helped him hit a ball pitching a lot better. And, you know, I, I think he's going to have himself a chance. I think saying he's going to be the majors this year is uh, probably a shade too bold. bold. <laughs> I, I definitely think, yeah, you know, it's, he could be an intriguing guy in double A. And, you know, once you're doing that, you're pretty close. Hey, Romy Gonzalez found his way on the major league roster for the White Sox in 2021. Yeah, Romy Gonzalez had not had a season as good as uh, Ulysses Messis' second half before last year. So, yeah, can't really think out. 
Is there anyone that is catching your attention while you're watching minor league minor league camp, James? Not like maybe a future story that you're going to be writing about on the athletic or just maybe someone that intrigues you that we should also be tracking along with you. Uh, well, Xavier Hernandez, I think this is catcher. Maybe I'm not getting his right. I didn't like know him super well before that, but he's only hit like, he's hit like nothing but tanks since we've been watching these games. Really? And he's like this uh, very like stout uh, minor league catcher who I think is in the low system. Um, I'm probably not getting his name right other than Xavier. Um, oh, yeah. That guy's 26. So I don't know. But <laughs> he was interesting. Uh, a guy I talked to today uh, was Kyle Crick. Um, who okay. Was, I think he was, you know, mildly intriguing to people because he just one, he's a former big leaguer and he's posted a good strikeout race before. And he um, pitched in Charlotte down the stretch last season and, you know, shoved, um, you know, given the com- composition of the White Sox bullpen down the stretch last season, it probably didn't make so much sense to be like, hey, let's give this guy who's pitching well in Charlotte in September uh, playoff innings. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're going into the season where, you know, maybe you have your top four relievers set, but Kimball could get traded probably will get traded and you're kind of wondering what the composition will be after that. Um, he, he certainly is expecting to have a shot to the majors. And uh, you know, he said what you would want to hear, which is that, you know, he got up with Matt Selesky and Charlotte and they, you know, this, his interview sounded a lot like Carlos Redon last year. He was mm-hmm. too into his toes and they got him putting more pressure on his heels and then they got him on the core velocity belt and he discovered a bunch of things about how his direction was off that he was, uh, you know, uh, that was leading to all kind of his walk problems and, you know, his struggles to command the uh, slider as much as he wanted to, or to set it up himself up in counts to use it because his, his slider has kind of been his calling card and his saving grace his entire career. Where it kind of deviates is that um, they decided that he needed, uh, they decided what would work for him well uh, was to kind of throw a sinker uh, to set up his slider and kind of set it up to pair with it horizontally more than the typical four-seamer slider thing. Right. He still throws his four-seamer, but now he feels like he can maybe generate a little bit more swing and miss with it if he's you know setting it up with a sinker and guys are not geared to expect that riding fastball up in the zone uh, as much. So it feels like he can command the sinker, get ahead, sneak in a four-seamer over a barrel now if he wants to, and that it's setting up himself up in good counts to really work a slider. Um, he shoved at the end of last year in Charlotte. He's super amped up at the possibility of uh, pitching for a team that has playoff ambitions, as you would be if you spent your entire career at the Pirates. And, you know, he seems like he's totally sold on what the White Sox are doing with him and that he's, he's healthy. So I, I think he's a guy who's thinking that he has a shot to make the team, and I don't think, why, like, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that he would get an opportunity at this point, um, you know, given what he did uh, in the minors last year. And the fact that there's not like a ton of, there's not like the next Cody Hoyer uh, mm-hmm. percolating uh, about to make the team uh, the way that maybe there was uh, for the Sox bullpen the last couple of years when we all thought Ian Hamilton and Ryan Burr were going to be, you know, the eighth and ninth inning guys uh, <laughs> in perpetuity. Memories. Memories. Yes. Memories of 2018. But uh, yeah, I, I think he put himself in a good spot and he sounds like he made a real tweak uh, to you know have some optimism uh, going forward. I love the concept of the horizontal difference using a two-seamer and its slider out of the pitch tunnel. 
That's, that's pretty creative. When you're speaking with guests, and this is my last question, when it comes to the farm system being a consensus in the bottom, 30 out of 30, how does he feel about that? Does he look at it as like a challenge or is that a slight to the work that he and the player development staff have been doing? Um, I mean, we haven't gotten him on record saying like those clowns will pay for slandering my system or anything like that. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't love it. I think he would, you know, and has argued that it's come as a product of doing his job uh, that, you know, they've advanced, they've graduated the guys they have to work with the roster last year. And he felt like, you know, when it came to the deadline last year, despite not really having any name brand trade chips that uh, they were able to have these pop-up years from um, Connor Pilkington and, and Bailey Horn enough to get some pieces to, you know, make moves at the deadline. Obviously Bailey Horn was the only one that really fueled a move that worked out, but um, he, he felt like they, they did their job as far as providing fuel. I, I think the one selling point that they would have, you know, when I was talking to Keith Law about it, he's, you know, was talking about how rare it is or how troubling it is that the top, you know, three prospects uh, that he put in the, their Sox rankings were all guys who essentially joined the organization in the last, you know, since July and how that's, you know, typically the sign of a weak system um, that any new talent you add in is immediately on top. The flip side that maybe gets would offer is that we have a lot of, they have a lot of guys that they feel like are top end talents, but are so early in their trajectory that they can't really rise up to the rankings um, or aren't really going to rise up the rankings. Like you might think that Colson Montgomery is a uh, five tool talent, but how high is he really going to go in the rankings before he's played an affiliate? You might think the world of Oscar Colas, uh, but how high is he really going to rank um, when he hasn't been seen in a game in 2019, like obviously scouts work very hard at what they do, but like at some point there needs to be a performance record to really, uh, back up guys, like really entering the upper stratosphere. Um, you could say the same thing for West cat and certainly pretty much all their arms don't have like this track record of success in the minors that you can, uh, build them up off of. So their idea is that the ceilings of this group way outpaces what their track record is. And so they have the potential to jump up once these guys have a full healthy um, season that actually shows what they're capable of. Obviously it'd be better if they were proven or if all these guys had dominated double A. That's the reason why those guys are more valuable and get more um, in, in trade. And maybe if they had guys like that, they would have been able to trade for Joe Musgrove or Blake Snell or, uh, you know, you Darvish or anything of the moves that they're kind of on the sidelines for while, you know, more lauded systems were able to close the, the, the bargain. So it, it's definitely not like secretly a positive or anything like that, but they definitely feel like they have potential to move up. Um, even though I think they, you know, probably deserve the status at the point. There's, there's plenty of people who are not sold on their guys at all and, and don't think they're going to flourish in the way that they're anticipating. So it's, it's an earned position, but they, they feel like they have the, they're, they're geared up to jump out of it compared to if they just had their top 30 list was 30, you know, fourth outfielders at triple A. Well, you could read James's excellent work at theathletic.com and you can follow him on Twitter. He's at J.R. Fegan. Hopefully one day in 2022, he'll be covering a White Sox mini camp. 
as that team gets ready to play the 2022 season, whenever that is going to be. But James, thank you so much for joining the Sox Machine podcast again. My, my favorite thing besides watching Major League Baseball is <laughs> being on the Sox Machine podcast. All right, glad we got that recorded because we're totally using that as promos moving forward. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered Sox Machine or you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, think about helping support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get more. They get exclusive content like the MLB draft reports that I write every single week. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our Sox Machine swag when we have it in the Sox Machine store. To sign up, again, go to patreon.com slash Machine. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month, or you can save 9% by signing up for an annual plan. The Sox Machine podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple and Spotify and Google Music and even Amazon Music. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.